Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. That was great. <laughs> I'm glad that every episode just opens with your review of my hello. Yeah, I think what the listener doesn't know is that this show is an audition. You're auditioning for some kind of show I'm making. I'm, I'm auditioning so, for the role of co-host. <laughs> yeah, like, <clears throat> you're like, give me a few varieties on this. And I go, good, that was good. Yeah. We'll be in touch. Here's 150 of them <laughs> over the course of 150 weeks. <laughs> I see you were on Frasier. That's cool. Um, anyway. Have to mention have to mention off the top of the episode, it's, it's a yeah. rare evening weeknight recording. Yeah. I'm going to the beach. I usually like recording remotely. I think it's fun to record this show from different places. It gives it a nice little extra like flavor, a little sure. extra spice. Um, but I decided that this weekend will just be me at the beach not thinking about anything. You know, you just like you. completely yeah. fucking tuning out is my plan. You need that, especially yeah. in August. It's like the perfect vacation month. Exactly. I think it's like yeah. the vacation month. June and July feel like preparation for August. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's, we're talking about a video game today. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it's the pinnacle of summer. You know what else is? You guessed it. The Forgotten City, uh, which is a new game. I think it came out last month, like mid, late July. Yeah. I think it was the last week of July it came out. So it's like pretty oh, last recent. week of July. Yeah. So pretty recent. Yeah. Uh, developed by Modern Storyteller, I believe. Yes. Originally, this game is largely based on a mod for Skyrim that came out in 2015 under the same name. I believe the same team, largely. Uh, Obviously, they had some more people come on for this one. Yeah. But that mod for Skyrim, I think we briefly mentioned in our Skyrim bonus from last December. I don't think either of us had played it. No, because the funny thing is we brought it up on that episode with the asterisk like we didn't play this one because there's going to be a full release eventually. Then you and I completely blanked on that until <laughs> semi-recently when it yeah. was released. Right. It, it, it really felt like it came out of nowhere, which is almost on brand for the story of the game. <laughs> but that that Skyrim mod, which I now want to go back and play, yeah, I think won an award from like the Writers Guild of America. Like yeah, really it, high It won praise. some kind of like science fiction writing award. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, which like you don't really see often. And I mean, there's so many incredible mods, but like, it, you know, Unmatched in many ways at that time, at least. Yeah. In terms of like a narrative, usually mods will increase like the performance of something or change the graphics. Like you don't normally get like a new story out. Right. Of you can wear the One Ring from Lord of the Rings in Skyrim. <laughs> this this is not that mod. Yeah, Jovakin with uh, Luigi's hat. Hell yeah. <laughs> Lots of merit to uh, Dovahkiin with Luigi's hat, by the way. I don't want to. I don't want to discredit that kind of mod, but but the Forgotten City was really trying to be like an actual like what if Bethesda made this kind of expansion to yeah. Skyrim uh, and fucking succeeded. I mean, it was like the most talked about, the most recommended mod for Skyrim uh, for people outside of like just wanting to you know make the graphics better. Uh, it was like right. you got to get the Forgotten City because it's like a must have experience. It's like intrinsic part of Skyrim lore at this point. Yeah, it took place, I think, in a, a Dwemer city, Yeah, which for those uh, who don't know Elder Scrolls lore, uh, the Dwemer are the dwarves who kind of mysteriously vanished one day. They sort of like, from what I gather, they sort of figured out the secret of the universe and like ascended reality. Like the dolphins and Hitchhiker's
Hitchhiker's Guide? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, in Skyrim, you'll encounter a lot of Dwemer ruins. Usually they're like gold and there's like clockwork. Like there's a level of technology kind of like the Sheikah and Hyrule where it's like yeah. the land is kind of stuck in one like sort of Renaissance era timeline. And then underneath it, there's like a hint of a past future. Right. So the idea of playing in a Dwemer city is like kind of something I think everyone, including Bethesda, like would want to do. So I think it ended up being a really cool framing device for the story. I, again, I haven't played the mod, but that's the setting of it. And then it goes from there. Yeah. Without without saying too much about it. I mean, the, the whole idea is you go back in time to when the Dwemer city was like, you know, full of life with the Dwemer there and stuff. And you solve a mystery. But at, at a certain point, that mod, you know, it won awards and became such like a, a beloved thing that I think the the team that put it together was like, what if this was its own standalone video game and has been working since then on making that a reality. Uh, so it's been like five or six years at this point with a pretty small team. From what I've seen, the, the core team is like three or four people. And then, you know, there's obviously, you know. There's a list of like historical references that that they uh, have uh, a bunch of like uh, outsourced artists and stuff like that. But uh, the core team, the voice is three actors, people. As well. yeah, a whole yeah. bunch of voice actors, uh, which was one of the pitches that you gave me when you were talking about like we should talk about this game this week. Was the voice acting is off the charts in this game? Yeah, really, really ridiculous. good. Yeah. So now this game is unattached from Elder Scrolls lore and is, I guess, a work of like historical fantasy fiction but takes place in a roman city instead so your character is from modern day and ends up in a roman city and like the mod has to kind of solve a mystery and and all that um we're not gonna say a lot about the story because honestly if you trust us enough i would just say get this game if you are interested in games as a storytelling device and you tend to like what we bring up uh go and buy this game this is one of those cases where i i feel incentivized to tell people to support a game like yeah, sometimes you'll pull the I'm lever like, yeah yeah like sometimes <laughs> like yeah like wait till it's on sale and again we're not a buyer's guide i really don't want that to be the tone for the show but like I, I haven't seen like any talk about this game at all and it is like a shocking work of fiction like it is really tremendously inspired and like it's got so many angles to it and so many like I, anything I would say sounds trite because it's what a good review sounds like but it really it, it touches on so much and I think because it is set in a like actual historical civilization it, the game has the opportunity to actually comment on history and civilization and like yeah. how we view law and society in a really interesting way you mentioned this before we started recording but there there's definitely something that this game gains by not being a Skyrim mod so like while while you could go download the Skyrim mod right now you know it's available on PC it's available on Xbox as well which is cool this game being set in you know a a fantastical version of our own world actually does make the story better and i would even having not played the skyrim mod version of this would recommend playing this version of it over that just based on the the location alone um i i think i think really adds a a lot it's it's hard to talk about this game because we have to be so cagey it feels like 13 sentinels all over again right and i I wanted to say the reason i said like if you trust us just get it is i think the best way to play is truly just to go in with nothing like go in with just the little we gave you and like you know the mechanic structure of the game it's like 90 percent dialogue yeah and it's not dialogue in the way of like uh mass effect or like kind of D esque games where there are like 
checks and stuff. It really just is like talking and listening. Every now and then you can like try to tell a lie, but that's not really the bulk of the game. The bulk yeah. of the game is like really just discovery. You, you talk to these characters. They all have like a really fleshed out view on the world and on their place within it. And there is like a little bit of action, which honestly is like easily the weakest part of the game. Like it's like, yeah, it's it, it's, you know, it's a little clunky and it's, it's, a, fun, it doesn't, it's a fun detour. Right. Yeah, yeah. It, exactly. It's like it's it's dramatic in the moment it pops up, but you're playing it for almost akin to like, I guess, a walking simulator where like you're in this really beautiful environment and you're just like exploring it and discovering things and talking to people. Yeah. And and the main premise of the game, which you would see on Steam, it's not necessarily a spoiler, but there is a little bit of a Groundhog's Day element where your character can uh, basically like through certain events, you can trigger a time loop where you go back to the beginning and you retain your knowledge of what you've learned so far and your inventory. So eventually it there's eventually a thrill of like knowing like you start off knowing nothing. Yeah. And eventually you're like, hey, farmer, do all of this. I got to run. Yeah. Which is so funny. Like one of the first characters you meet is named uh, Glarius, who I love. Uh, you know, won't get too much into it, but just know that I love him. Um, <laughs> he's like your buddy and probably the most immediately likable character. But, you know, like everyone, he has more angles to him, which are really fascinating. Yes. But he he basically at one point tells you, he's like, you remind me of Sisyphus. Well, if you ever need help, ask me. <laughs> I'm not going to remember, but like I'm here to help you no matter what you're doing. So like the game does a good job of not making you repeat yourself. Like it really wants to prioritize your progression through the game without making you like relive things even though ironically you are reliving the same day you're never redoing the same things because Glarius is helping you out yeah. <laughs> and ironically becoming like the hero because he's doing everything you already did uh which is so funny yeah but, uh, I think okay I think before before I even get like deeper into a little bit about story stuff I do think sure. it's worth saying just kind of at the precipice of this this is a game that takes like Majora's Mask to kind of its logical conclusion like that kind of idea yes. kind of a yes. return of Obra Dinn thing Outer Wilds like there are a lot of I think the Sexy Brutale is also this which is a game I've yeah. played but it has been on my list for a long time it, it it's going down that avenue and if that sounds like the kind of thing you want like just skip this segment entirely skip to the next yes. segment like yes. just play it it's really good but if you need a little bit more if you don't really care about spoilers as much uh, we're not going to like give away the stuff that happens in the game because discovery is the point but uh, you know, if you, if you want to go in with nothing, uh, now is the time to probably slam that fucking eject <laughs> button. Uh, yeah. so Bye-bye. now is the time. Okay. Uh, so I, I think it, it is worth diving a little bit deeper into just like mechanically how the game works. And you can't sure. really talk about that without saying like, I would say like the inciting overall idea. Um, yeah. so you show up at the city through a fucking time portal. You're like in modern day and you jump through a time portal and you end up in this city that's in the you know Roman era. Uh, it's underground. Nobody can escape. And you meet the guy who is like essentially the mayor of the town who is like, there is a rule that everyone in this town follows about 30 people just about who live in the town uh, total. Sorry, the city. It's the forgotten city. I should say city. Uh, th- there's about 30 people who live in the city total. And the mayor is like, somebody is going to commit a crime that goes against what we refer to as the golden rule. The golden rule is this idea that if anyone commits a sin, everyone will die. Everyone in the city will die immediately. And your job is to figure out who is going to commit that sin before it happens and tell the mayor so he can put a stop to it with his like mayoral 
powers or whatever. And anytime you fuck that up, anytime you break the golden rule, which is a thing that will happen a lot, probably you have to go and reset time and start the loop over again. I don't want to say much more about like what happens when you break the golden rule, but that's kind of the loop of the game is like there are 30 people who live in this city. There is a beginning of the day and the end of the day. There's when you show up and then there's like a thing that happens at the end of the day that kind of denotes like if, if you don't make any progress by this point, the day will kind of force you to loop anyway and then you have to run all the way back to the beginning like literally sprint all the way back to the time portal and jump through it again so you can start your day over and that is the loop like literally and narratively of the game is reliving the same day over and over again and learning the patterns that everyone has on a day-to-day basis learning the ins and outs of the city which is like bigger and deeper and taller than you think it is uh, at the yeah. start and just kind of like making your way through uh, pulling on different strings and figuring out like okay you know the, I think I know this person's deal, but if I follow them a little bit longer than usual, maybe they'll reveal something new about themselves that will help me progress. What I think you touched on that I, that is maybe my favorite thing about the game, especially compared to things like Majora's Mask or Return of the Oberdin, which are games that you're constantly bumping up against and saying like, okay, I, I feel like I've done everything I can. I don't really know how to progress. And it's like, you know, just something you've overlooked at a certain point. It's like just, just something that you may have missed uh, because, you know, the game wants you to figure it out for yourself i think i think this game is a little bit more forgiving on that front which is one of the reasons why i feel unabashedly like everyone should play it because there's really no way to fuck up i feel like winning this game is an inevitability because there's a a, there's a checklist of things you know it just kind of keeps it keeps track of everything every string you've pulled on every narrative thread that you've you know kind of even glanced at will be listed in this checklist of quests and at any point you can just kind of like go through them and figure out what to do next Progression is just a thing that will happen to you, I think, more often than not, which is one of the brilliant things about this game, I think, you know, for for all the things it's trying to explore, like philosophically and whatever. I think like the, the real genius of this game is that it is completable by pretty much everyone. I don't think there's a way in which you could not win. That's a great point. Yeah, I think because I feel like a lot, of, especially Majora's Mask, like the main critique I have of that game, like it's really like a really cool experience. Uh, have you heard of it? It's a good game. But uh, th- it's so esoteric. Like there are so many things where like if you don't have a guide, there's no way you would ever know. Yeah. Like how to get that mask or whatever. Even in the main plot, like there are just some beats where it's like very much like 1997 forum visit to progress. Thing. Exactly. Yeah. And this game, like you said, like no matter what angle you're coming in at it will progress the story in a way that eventually they'll all meet at yeah kind of like 13 sentinels where like that game is largely just experiencing the story but it's up to you regarding which way you progress like which characters are you going to like learn about first yeah and no matter what order you choose it will eventually all come together right that that game had that game has 13 spinning plates at all times and there's <laughs> and i i would say you know even looking back on that game there's only one of those plates where like the plate falls off and smashes on the ground you just kind of have to like pick up the pieces for a little bit and then yeah. you can get back to continuing to spin the plates uh this game that. manages to just kind of like be a smooth ride the whole time. I think it's worth mentioning you and I started this game yesterday, two days ago. Was it yesterday? I think it might've been yesterday and we're, we're both done. Yeah, we both <laughs> finished it. I've, there are four endings in this game and I've seen all four. And I, I actually yeah. think that it's worth mentioning that there's four endings because like you will run into one of them eventually. Um, and that could be the end of the game for you. And that'll be fine, which I think is great. I mean, there one, one of the endings involves just like 
internalizing the rules of the game. And then other ones are like, I have poked at every single corner of this game. I've learned every single person's pattern. I've learned every single thing that can happen in every permutation. And I figured out like the ultimate ending, like the, They reward every version of exploration that could possibly exist in this game. And I think that that's really great. I think it's nice that the game is like, you know, whether you're kind of like a more casual, like jump in and jump out kind of player here, or if you really want to be a completionist about it, there are endings that reward all of those different play styles. Yeah. Um, And it's 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 worth noting too, like even being a completionist, the game is like eight to 10 hours. Like it's really pretty quick. Even maybe even less. Was it? Did we play that much in two days? I guess so. Yeah. I don't I don't know what my what my total playtime was. I guess I could hop on my PS5 and yeah. find out. But um I don't I don't think I played it for 10 hours. And I think yeah, that's, I think it was less. I think yeah. that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've seen a speed run of this game that is two and a half minutes long. I'll say that yeah. much. It, it's short. Like it, it's a it's a very like and sometimes when we say short, like it's like 30 hours, but this game is like actually yeah. very doable in like one or two sittings. Yeah. It is interesting, I think, just like mechanically that they managed to take most of the stuff that you can do in the Elder Scrolls game that this you know was a mod for originally and just like recreate that in Unreal Engine. And and one of the reasons that I imagine you and I like it, maybe more than some people, I'm not really sure, but if you're you know more recent to this podcast than others, uh, Steve and I are huge Elder Scrolls fans, yeah. Oblivion specifically. Uh, but Skyrim also continued the wonderful Oblivion tradition of whenever you talk to somebody, it zooms in on their face all weird. Uh, yeah. And uh, this game does that. And that was immediately endearing to me. That was like, yeah. as soon as it zoomed in on the first person that you meet at the side of a river, uh, who's like, hey, you should go into this fucking ruin and check out the city. I was like, sold, sold on this game. I, w- I was like, I'm going to play the whole thing. I don't care what's happening. Even if it's bad, <laughs> I'm, I'm here to I'm here to hang out. I'm here to party. Yeah, even though it's it's it benefits, you know, plot wise from being detached from the Elder Scrolls universe, you can definitely tell it was a Skyrim mod originally. Yeah. Because again, it has that like, uh, I think we referred to it as like, I forgot what episode it was, but there was a one time where we were like, there are all these games that are that are purposely retro, but where is the game that is like purposely campy in a 2007 way? Where yeah. People are like, hello! And like, this game is almost there. Like, the thing is the writing and the voice acting are so good that it's not that level, and nor right. should it be, but yes. there's like, there are winks at a Skyrim type place where everyone's like, how are you doing today? And like, you know, revealing their inner secrets and passing. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it really honestly feels like what Skyrim and Oblivion wanted to go for. But this game like zeroed in on that. You know, I think you're right. I I think it's like, yeah, if those games were a little bit too big for their britches in terms of like what the technology allowed for at the time, like this, this just makes good on that concept uh, in in a really fun way. I mean, you know, you'll see in the reviews of this game, but like, you know, the, 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 some of the character models are like goofy. They have like weird eyes, you know, like very like uncanny Valley kind of stuff going on. And it zooms in real close on them whenever you want to talk to them. You know, if you like talk to somebody and their, their back is turned to you, there's a slow animation where they turn around and it zooms in on their (laughs) face and like it rules. It's so fun. And that's a, that's a thing that I think some people might, find as a knock against it and that's a thing that you and i in particular i don't even i'm 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 fully fine speaking for you on this point of course it owns it's great it's exactly (laughs) like one of the reasons i love this game so much yeah but you know atop all of that there's this kind of just level of you interact with the world almost the same way you do in an Elder Scrolls game as well. It feels very familiar. You know, it, it almost feels like you don't need to learn how to play the game as much. It really just yeah. is about talking to people and pulling on those strings and seeing what's up. Um, and, you know, looping time if you 
if you mess it up somehow. But even above all of that is the writing that the game was known for in the first place, right? Like the mod was known for its incredible storytelling and, and its craftsmanship. And like what this game is exploring even just thematically is really fascinating. It's a lot about like the nature of right and wrong and like, you know, okay, so if anybody in this city sins, everybody dies immediately. But what constitutes a sin is very much at the heart of what this game yes. is exploring. Um, yeah. And without saying too much, I think it explores it from literally every angle it possibly could and kind of makes good on any opinion you might have on that. Well, and that's the thing, too. And that's what I'm most impressed by. It's worth noting in the four endings, there is a canon ending. Like There is an ending yeah. you get that is considered like this. And you'll you'll know it when you get to it. You will definitely know it when you hit it, <laughs> dear listener. I got it first, which I thought. Kind I can't of believe you of. got that one first. Yeah, it's, it's wild. Yeah. But anyway, um, Bragging aside about the canon <laughs> ending, uh, the game explore like you said, every character is very much like, you know, it almost reminds me of Battle Royale, where it's like every character in that book, in that movie yes. has a different approach to yes. the game. There are people who like are unwilling to do it. There was one person who signed up for fun. You know, there are people who like are only out to protect the people they love. The minute you hear the golden rule, you will think of like how you would handle it. Yes. And there's like you said, there's someone in this story that is doing the same thing. What really seals the deal is like, okay, you've got characters who are like trying to ignore it and like, you know, drinking the day away. You've got characters who like, there's one character is like literally a stoic and he's like me getting angry at the golden rule is like getting angry at the seasons. I can't control it. Therefore, I'm not going to feel anything about it. Right. You know, which like, oh, that character is very fascinating. But you know, there, there's that philosophy at play. But the game also has an answer. I, I think that that's what really impressed me is like mm -hmm. all these characters have an opinion. Like one of the, one of the questions you can always ask in the sort of like Skyrim box of dialogue is like, what do you think of the golden rule? Yeah. And I think the game has an answer. And I think that becomes very clear in the canon ending. And I think that there is also, I would argue, a character that kind of speaks on almost the creator of the game's behalf, yes. um, which I found that exchange like that was when I think my my third eye opened for the game. I mean, like, this is <laughs> actually brilliant. This went from being like a really cool like project to like a work of art, in my opinion, not yeah. to be, you know, like high art, low art bullshit. But, you know, it just it's a very impressive work of fiction. Yeah. I mean, it's riveting. You and I yeah. beat it already. I mean, we, we started playing it yesterday. And we've now finished yeah. it by the time of this recording, which is a day after we started it. Yeah, it's a it's a really impressive work of writing of, of science fiction, of philosophy in a way. Um, and uh, I, I can't recommend highly enough. I, I, I'm just fucking blown away by this game. I, I, I don't even know what else to say about it outside of like, I just I just love it dearly. Um, and I, I kind of almost want to play it again. But I think my next move is going to be to download the Skyrim mod and check that out and just see like, yeah, what where it came from. I'm very curious to see how they compare. I'm just very curious because I think that you can kind of like, OK, what is the stand in for certain things in like an Elder Scrolls lore? I'm very curious to see how that translates. Yeah. And I'm, I'm also wondering if like the commentary that we're, you know, pointing out here is still present, you know, by using the Elder Scrolls fiction as like an analog to our history. Like, yeah. is that still in the game in some way? It's I'm it's so sure. hard to not like dig into that more without spoiling stuff. But right th there, there is a very specific reason that I would recommend playing this version over the Skyrim mod version, which I imagine is probably still very good. But it being set in a Roman city specifically adds to the like philosophical core question that, that the game is asking uh, it, in, in a way that I don't think it could in a Dwemer ruin. <laughs> well, excuse know. me. Well, I no, mean, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of up in the air about it, right? Like, 
I'm just thinking like good science fiction is in its nature in a way about exploring human nature through like fantastical lenses. Right. Sure. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe it is fine. Maybe it's just as good. I mean, it probably is. It won a bunch of awards. I imagine yeah. it's probably and I, I imagine what if I had to guess how I would feel playing both. I imagine they're just different pieces at this point. You yeah. know, I, yeah. I don't I, I think they're probably just different experiences to have. But yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to play the original. Maybe we might talk about that one day if we want to bring it to the episode but i i don't know if i had i feel like i have much more to say but i thought that's the most i can say without spoiling anything i I really this game was like 25 dollars. like highly recommend getting it i'm not seeing enough praise for it i think it rules uh get it yeah this is one of those ones (laughs) that was kind of on my list you know i i I remember talking to you about it like at least a month ago like oh yeah this is coming out soon that's kind of a it's kind of a cool thing i think we should probably check it out and then uh it dropped and I, I I haven't seen a lot about it. So I'm I'm glad yeah. um I'm glad you and I have both played it at this point. Yeah, I'd recommend it to probably anyone. It is uh, a stunning it's a stunning work. Um and again, the voice acting is really good. I was it's really incredible. Yeah, I was really kind yeah. of blown away by that. Which is important because it's so much of the game. But that's I think like it's a testament to uh, I think some games feel like you can't just have dialogue and it be enough. You know, yeah. and I, I can see someone maybe feeling like there isn't like a lot of game here. And like, what is it? You know, I mean, I, I think it very much still is a game, but like it's all subjective. Right. I could see someone needing more of an interactive kind of experience. But I think because the writing and the voice acting are so incredible, like you're just glued to the screen. Yeah. Like it really is so riveting. Yeah. It's it's incredible. Yeah. I I would definitely. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would definitely. I think I just We're need like to stop breaking the golden rule yeah. by bringing up spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I think I just need to stop myself. Uh, dear listener, if at any point you play this game all the way through and you're like, I would like a bonus episode about this, please let us know. Um, yeah, because we don't currently have plans to do one. But the more we try and talk about it here, the more I feel like maybe <laughs> we should do one. Um, yeah, I, I had that thought after finishing it. I'm like, yeah, this, yeah, yeah, this could be good. So let us know, because I would love I, I think I think a bonus episode where we talk about this and the original mod for Skyrim would be like a really cool experience. That'd be awesome. Yeah. But uh, yeah, let us know. That could be a cool idea. Anyway, should we uh, take a break and then move on? Yeah, that's it. You can go on zip lines in a Roman city. What else do you want? <laughs> <laughs> you can jump from high heights. Ow! Oh yeah, that's what I really do. Is like when you get hit in like Elder Scrolls fashion, you go like, oh, yeah. like oh my like god! The voice acting is great, but when you get hit, it's like, yeah, it rules. There's a. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say this much too, just because it's fun. At the beginning of the game, you can choose a class, and there are a bunch of classes. Uh, one of them is like archaeologist, which means that you can like read uh, like Roman graffiti and like have kind of insight into uh, you know the historical accuracy of certain things. So when people try and talk to you, you can say like, "Oh, I I actually know what I'm talking about because I've studied this kind of stuff. I know I know about you know Roman history enough to like be able to carry conversations with people that maybe I wouldn't have." There's another one uh, that you that you picked. Uh, which was, I forget what it is, but it's like you hit your head really hard and because of that you can take more damage or something. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. sort of like there's no backstory given, but you just can take more damage basically. Yeah, there's another one, I forget what the, what the deal is, but you can run faster. Which Actually is, very good, yeah. That's very helpful. And then there's another one where you have like a military background and you start with a gun with 10 bullets in it and you can't get more bullets because you're going to the Roman times, but the idea of starting that game with a gun 
gun with 10 bullets is so funny to me. I didn't pick that one. I picked the archaeologist because I thought it'd be most helpful. But I think if I play this game again, I'm like absolutely going to pick the gun. one. It just sounds <laughs> so funny to have a gun in a place where you're not allowed to sin. It's like, why? Why even have it? Yeah, you, you do have a flashlight with you. And whenever you have it out, people are like, ah, you're gifted by the hand of Prometheus. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever. I love that. <laughs> Which so is much. great. What yeah. a what a fantastic lamp you have is one of yeah. my favorites. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> So good. Everyone comments on the flashlight. Everybody loves the flashlight. Yeah. It's interesting to see a lot of games that are like kind of creatively splintered off from the Elder Scrolls where like Outer Worlds was a game made by Obsidian who used to work under Bethesda and they got to make a game that was like going for the same like grand scale of a Fallout or Elder Scrolls Fallout in particular, Yeah, but had like more purposeful, smaller maps and it still felt big. Right. And then you have a game like this. It's like, what if we just, you know, there are so many beautiful locations in Skyrim and in Elder Scrolls games that like you go to and you're like mesmerized by it, but there might not be a lot there to actually chew on, you yeah. know, like once yeah. you do it, it's like, is there actually a meaning to be here? And like, they just take in like one city that would be there and focus an entire experience around it really. And again, there's a place for both games, but I think it's like, I think it's, it's interesting to see that the coolest projects that have come in like a post Skyrim world are the ones that just take like one idea from it and just dive deep into that. Yeah. Cause I, I remember even back when Oblivion dropped, that was one of the big like tentpole features of Oblivion was like every NPC in this game has a routine that they follow on a daily basis. <laughs> Yeah. And sometimes it was like they get up and they walk to a bench and then they eat an apple on the bench and they go home and they go to sleep. And like that's it. And I love that this game is like, let me actually make good on that. Actually- yeah. <laughs> Let's give a meaning to the routine. It's not just like, what's new in the other provinces? They asked themselves. Right. And then went yeah. to sleep. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, great game. Uh, that's all. That's all I got for now. The Forgotten City. Oh, we didn't even we didn't even mention where it's available. So it's on PC. It's on uh, Xbox Series S and X, and it's on PlayStation Four and Five. You and I both played it on the PS Five. I've heard some stuff about it on the Xbox Series S not being super great at the moment. Uh, so maybe sit tight. Uh, maybe that's changed. But uh, I, I've seen some stuff about that coming out on Switch at the end of the year. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's still like there are still some performance hiccups even on PS Five. You know, it's like there'll be like kind of weird like loading pauses and uh yeah sometimes it's kind of glitchy to like like zip lining is very difficult <laughs> you have to like be at the exact like cursor point to zip line yeah but it very seldom does it get in the way of the experience um uh I'm just I'm just so excited for everyone who's listening who hasn't played this game to go pick it up and play it because like yeah this is gonna just, be another channel in the Discord where everything is redacted with a spoiler tag it's yeah. gonna be a, a thirteen it honestly shares a lot in common with thirteen sentinels given like the twists and the like everything it's, yeah it's great I do think I want to make a Discord channel hey if you haven't joined the Discord you can go to um into the Casa online there's a link to join the Discord and uh, you can play the Forgotten City along with a bunch of other people and have a great time but if anyone says this game is bad we delete the entire discord <laughs> it's our golden rule yeah it's our golden rule if anyone's like i don't know it wasn't for me just the whole discord gone <laughs> so all right well let's take a break let's like we break. said we were gonna do one loop ago <laughs> whoops see you soon goodbye we are back brendan i hear whispers rumors <laughs> and theories that you were in the big apple of pokemon the unova region Wow. In, uh, Pokemon Black and White and Black and White 2, I imagine. Yeah, you nailed it. I actually forgot that it was called the Innova region. Um, I 
have had an interesting experience where, uh, I don't know, I've been talking about it a lot on the show, but I've been playing my 3DS a lot recently, uh, which yeah. has also included Nintendo DS, non-3 games. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love non, just call it non-3 for yeah. those in the know. Yeah. <laughs> I've been playing my non-3. I've been playing my non-3 video games recently. And I don't know, there, there's an interesting thing about Pokemon Black and White, at least for me, and I know for you as well, and the fact that both of us kind of feel this way about it makes me think that it's maybe a larger opinion that uh, a whole swath of like old head Pokemon fans feel. But you and I grew up playing Red and Blue and Onwards and whatever. And by Gen 5, I think there was this feeling that was like, maybe not like maybe <laughs> a little bit. Maybe it's yeah. over. maybe this exact formula has overstayed its welcome a little bit at this point. And Gen 5, at least for me, was the hardest to get into of all of them. Pretty much in the whole franchise. Am I am I wrong in thinking that you felt the same way about it? Yeah, we've talked about it a little bit. I mean, I think you're not wrong that that was kind of a sentiment in the air. Honestly, that kind of started with fourth gen, to be honest. Like, I think that was like mm. the first time I started to hear like critics and people be like, OK, this game is good, but like it's the same thing like that. Really, after third gen, like fourth gen introduced a lot of cool stuff. And obviously, like the more specific changes for like online play and like changing the special staff for all the attacks like that's all really cool stuff but like the core game itself that most people pick up and play like yeah. it, it very much is similar beats so there was a question of like that similar beat is fun but like is there any change on the horizon and by that time you know having that game on the ds it was a, the advancement of hardware was big enough that it was like a little bit weird that it was still so beholden to the old style. Right. Yeah. Because you still just have like, I mean, the only the only real major change there is that you have uh, like 3D houses, you know, right. And like exactly. 3D trees, but it's still, you know, 2D pixel sprites uh, moving through those places. And what I mean by the same is, like, OK, it's like every game has a team that has some weird thing. We've talked about this a lot, so I won't get too into it. But, you know, yeah. it's, it's following the same beats all the old games. I, I liked both. And that's the thing. I, I really enjoyed Black and White. And I think Black and White weirdly has kind of become like the like unfortunately it's become like the rallying cry of like the more toxic parts of the Pokemon fandom of like yeah. why don't you make one like this which is kind of ironic because like at the time I, I don't think anyone really greeted it with that fanfare like it came out and like you said people were like can Pokemon get away with just doing the same thing over and over again the thing right. about black and white is that I think that there are some things going on with the story that are like conceptually interesting but it varies in execution but there's the whole idea like the team this time is like uh, PETA for Pokemon, basically, where yeah. they're like, you know, they, they question the idea that like everyone asks, like, is this moral? Is this essentially like dog fighting in a way? Like, is this animal abuse? Right. And of course, there's like an ulterior motive. Like, now we have all the Pokemon and they're dressed up as knights. So like kind of undoes that question. Yeah, I... <laughs> That's that's I think one of the things I'm like b fighting against the most with this game. Yeah. So I, I guess just like on my end, Black and White and Black and White Two are the two games that I have not finished. Um, yeah, they're, they're the only Pokemon games in the mainline franchise that I like haven't made it to the end of. Um, and that I don't know when I tried playing them back in the day, I was like, this really. I think is not for me anymore. I had heard when black and white came out that it was supposed to be like a soft reboot of the franchise. I think it's notable that when you play that game, they have 150 new Pokemon. You can't get any of the old ones until you finish the game, which is like right. kind of a, a, you know, flag in the ground. Like this is going to be the the new norm 
in a way. But I don't think they pushed it far enough. And I think that was kind of my issue with it then was like, okay, so you've removed all of the characters that I like know and replaced them with these new ones. I'm exploring, you know, this place that feels very similar to other places that I've explored. It felt very much like Diamond and Pearl, felt very much like Soul Silver and Heart Gold, which had already been out at that time as well. Yeah. I was like, I just I just don't know if there's enough new here for me, which then was followed by X and Y, which is the first one for the 3DS, which was also kind of heralded as a new as like a soft reboot of the franchise in a way. But that yeah, one but I think you felt that more. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that one did feel like it. Yeah. And I think black and white just felt like we just replaced all the Pokemon in that's what makes it new it's like that's that's not <laughs> it actually there needs to be something beyond that yeah um, and and unfortunately i mean weirdly enough like you and i have had this conversation as well but like when you look back at x and y what what was the real innovation there and it was really just like stepping the graphical fidelity up another notch past yeah. what we had seen i remember being excited i could move diagonally so like if that's what i'm excited about maybe it's like a low bar yes you know? exactly exactly uh, yeah and and i think you know, looking back, maybe it wasn't really the soft reboot that we thought it was. But for Pokemon, it was like a big deal. Because I, I yeah, even remember absolutely. around that time, it wasn't just Pokemon that was getting that kind of magnifying glass of criticism. But it was also Call of Duty, weirdly enough, it had just been like <laughs> time and time again. Like, you know, that was on the yearly update cycles. Like, how many times can you just release this thing and like change it a little bit? And a lot of people were pointing at both Call of Duty and Pokemon as like two uh, two examples of games that like needed to really innovate and do something really new. And by the time black and white came out, it was like, eh, I don't know if that's for me. So I bounced off that game pretty early on. I remember my first time through it. And I really personally enjoy going back to things that I didn't like. Um, yeah. and, and seeing if I have a new angle on it, you know, having like grown older and wiser uh, and, <laughs> and have more media literacy and whatever. And uh, I w- I'll say at this point, I'm enjoying black and white a lot more than I did the first time. Because uh, oh, yeah. the first time it felt very much like I'm just doing the same beats I've always done. And maybe it's just that it's been a long time since Sword and Shield came out. And like I was just kind of like, you know, hankering for another Pokemon game or something. But uh, it's really working for me. And I, I think one of my major criticisms uh, of this game still is that they're not going far enough with the team plasma stuff that you're referring to like yeah when you first meet team plasma they're like hey it sucks that we capture pokemon and throw them in little balls and make them fight one another like that's not okay they should be on the level of us they should be living in harmony with us uh but it's so clear so early on that they don't mean that sincerely and i think that that's maybe the game's biggest downfall narratively because one of the things one of the things that i've heard about this game a lot and the sequel is that this and the sequel together form what is the best story ever told in this world and i'm very interested to find out what people are referring to when they talk about that because right now i'm not seeing it i mean right now it's like me and my two friends have gone out into the world with a Pokemon and a Pokedex and they fight me all the time whenever I run into them on different routes. Yeah. All the time. I want yeah, like, I want to, well, as you bring up this point, I tried to Nuzlocke this game and it is impossible because they fight you at every corner. Like constantly. you never have a chance to go and heal up. They're like, hey, yeah. do you want to do a, a friendly scrimmage? I'm like, no, you've killed everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I have to restart the whole game. They, they are on the same path as you the whole time and that yeah. means that at any point one of your two friends will constantly want to fight you you know wherever you run into them and it's like multiple times between every gym it's like it happens a lot more than it did in any of the previous games add on top of that you also have this kind of like mysterious character slash rival maybe who goes by n yeah who is also in that fray which means that you have three npcs who are constantly 
challenging you to battles as like plot beats in between everything that you're trying to do. Yeah. Which like that's very overwhelming at times I found. I'm kind of enjoying it a little bit. Um, you know, as a person who's played a lot of these games, like I I kind of understand this idea that like, yeah, maybe this is a little bit more challenging than usual because you never really know when to expect this fight. Uh, but yeah. it just means that I save more is what I found. Like it just <laughs> means that I, I open up the menu and I hit the save button more than I usually do. Yeah, I, I think I think the reason black and white kind of has like a, you know, outside of the of the unfortunate like toxicity of, of using this game is like what people kind of ask for, which feels almost like, a, I don't know, it's it's always tricky to know like how things will be received over time, because like sometimes it takes a while for like a game or a movie or a book to like catch an audience. Yeah. Um, so it, it feels a little weird to like demand things be a certain way when like, again, when this game came out, like it did well, it's a Pokemon game, but like there wasn't that immediate acknowledgement of its strengths. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think that there's a place for it because ironically you know in a series that is seldom to change it has changed enough that this game is like kind of a swan song of this era of Pokemon. Yeah. And, you know, you have the quality of life improvements and like gameplay refinement from fourth gen lingering into this. You've got the fully animated sprites and a very battle centric campaign. So I think that for people who are in the, you know, quote unquote, hardcore audience, like it kind of has everything you want in it, which I think is why people like still kind of point to it in terms of the best story. That is a low bar, man. I mean, I think like it is, I, it's like, yes, it's, is the best story just by having one i mean uh (laughs) look we love we love this series like we are both huge fans uh we just you know we've talked a lot about um the second and third gen in particular i I think if you want like our full thoughts on pokemon i think the bonus about pokemon crystal is probably where it's like kind of fully explored because i think that the the reason there's like a magic feeling to those games is really the setting and that's the strength of a lot of Pokemon games, it's like the atmosphere and the setting and getting to learn what the world is like. The focus on story almost always detracts from that because the story is always like too high stakes for its own good. You know, the more I mean, this game literally has the scene from the third man with the Ferris wheel. Like when you first meet N, like you go on a Ferris wheel together yeah. and he's like, you know, what if those people stop moving? How would you feel? He doesn't say that, but it's like <laughs> kind of close. Like, this feels weird. Like, I don't need that. I just want to like know. I think. You and I also have a subjective interest in like, what is the slice of life world of Pokemon look like? You know, what does it just look like to like live with Pokemon in a beach town or like what everyday function do Pokemon serve in society? You get a little bit of that in the second and third generation of games. Um, so I think I think it's cool they're exploring those ideas in black and white. I also think the gyms are fun. There's some interesting ideas like the first gym will choose like what type is strong against you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a really solid entry. Honestly, I, I'd have to replay them and maybe the remakes of fourth gen would change my mind. I think I like black and white more than Diamond and Pearl, honestly. Oh, it's like, yeah, I just uh, I, I found Diamond and Pearl, like even though I played it a lot, like I, I can't remember anything that happened. Like I don't remember the story like at all. I don't remember like who my rival was even I remember a lot of mountains and a lot of Bidoof and like that's it I'll I'll say this much as a person who like really played the shit out of Diamond and Pearl that was like the one for me I also really don't remember anything about it which is why I'm looking forward to that remake so much. <laughs> me too uh so black and white I think was a cool it also came out like when I was in college so there was kind of this excitement of like whoa like a new Pokemon and I'm sort of an adult let's try it out <laughs> uh See, I don't know, but I I think X and Y was a bigger deal at the time. And again, like, even though I think if I had to like rank my order of favorite Pokemon games, X and Y is like not as high as it once was, but that did start a new era of like Pokemon games. 
I think like X and Y, Sun and Moon and Sword and Shield are all kind of in the same ballpark. Yeah. Um, and then you have like, I don't know, like I guess Diamond and Pearl and Black and White are kind of in this middle ground between like the retro games and the more modern ones. Yeah. So I, think I mean, I'll say this yeah. one. I'll say this much, you know, w- with hindsight, just looking back at the stuff that was released on the Nintendo DS, uh, the non three video games, <laughs> is, is that I think that the. Heart Gold and Soul Silver, like the Silver and Gold remakes, are actually kind of the the standouts of, of yeah, the, I agree of the things that were released between Black and White, Black and White Two, Heart Gold, Soul Silver, and Diamond and Pearl and Platinum. The ones that I look back on the fondest are those. Um, and and you know, as you and I talked about in that Crystal episode, Silver and Gold have always been my favorites, really. But I I am enjoying this experience of going and like seeing this side of the franchise that I know a lot of people have a lot of affinity for that I kind of bounced off of and kind of reinterrogating my own thoughts about it. And I'm finding a lot to like. I mean, one of the things that is, I think, the most interesting that I didn't really like initially um, is that it's set in New York, essentially. It's set in New York City, which is a place that I now live and didn't, you know, when I first played the game. Uh, So there's like a chunk of it that is New York City. There's like a chunk of it that's Manhattan. There's a chunk of it that's like Brooklyn and Queens. And there's a chunk of it that's also New Jersey, which is very funny. That's why I always liked it. And that's where you catch the garbage Pokemon, which feels insulting. (laughs) But you know, whatever. Yeah, you go to the Meadowlands and catch garbage. Um, Garboder. Yeah. yeah, Now the second episode in a row that we've mentioned the Meadowlands. But anyway, um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm in an area of the game right now that like is Brooklyn. It's like, I could tell you what neighborhood in Brooklyn it is. Uh, and that's a kind of weird experience. And I find that the game's world, unlike some of the other ones that I've played and enjoyed, the ones that I tend to enjoy more, this world feels very claustrophobic in the way that an actual city does. Even the like kind of uh, wild routes that you go uh, and visit in between the different cities feel more claustrophobic than usual. They feel like tighter, more compact places. They're like they have, you know, the remnants of buildings. They have, you know, uh, train tracks going through them, things like that. Uh, It feels like a tighter space than I'm used to in a Pokemon game, which really means that they've like captured the feeling of being in a metropolis really well, right? Like they've captured the feeling of being in New York City and in Brooklyn and stuff really well. But it does make for more comfortable feeling that I'm kind of enjoying in a strange way in a way that I don't in real life I mean just to be clear like (laughs) even walking around like New York and Brooklyn and stuff which is the place that I live I'm like there's too many people here I don't don't feel very good about it most of the time but in in Pokemon, it is kind of a new experience for me. And I'm I'm enjoying kind of like feeling that hostility of New York that I know in real life in this game. Uh, it's interesting. It's a really interesting idea for them to have tackled. And they've done a really wonderful job of it. I do think that like a lot of the Pokemon designs leave a lot to be desired. I don't really think like in the actual 150, I feel that way. But in like the legendary Pokemon that they've created, like knowing, you know, what I'm working towards, right? Like in, in Pokemon Red and Blue, you're working towards getting a you two eventually working towards getting the legendary birds, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. The ones that I'm like working towards in Pokemon Black and White are just like, I don't know, like you needed to to make a legendary Pokemon 24 hours before it was due, kind of feeling. Um, <laughs> that's how honestly, that's how they all feel post third gen, in my opinion. I actually do think they stepped it up a little bit in Sun and Moon and Sword and Shield, weirdly. I, I liked I the agree. dogs. Yeah. And I liked um the Sun and Moon uh legendaries. But yeah, fourth and fifth gen have like such boring legendary Pokemon. Just like looks like a rough draft of a Digimon, which I know is always the insult, but like it really does feel like yeah. like this this is a scrapped idea for like the god of time. 
I have, I have definitely come around on the actual 150 themselves because I remember I when I, them. when I yeah. played this game initially, I was a little bit iffy on it. And now playing it, I'm like, oh, no, this is great. This is like, you know, I, I, I remember there were a lot of people who'd like dunked on the ice cream cone Pokemon. Yeah, it's like, easy, ah, easy target. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like, go look at the fucking first gen. You know, I mean, I like, think uh, what Pidgey I liked is about a Pokemon Krabby right. is a crab <laughs> who is a Pokemon like yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I think what I liked about this generation of Pokemon a lot is that a lot of them are like items as opposed to animals. So you have yeah. the ghost candle Litwick who becomes Chandelure, who's one of my favorites. I yeah. love awesome. ghost fire type haunted Chandelier from Beauty and the Beast. Sign me up. Uh, <laughs> you've got uh, Grubbage and Garboder, my my gods. I've mentioned them before. Yeah, they're unbelievable. Um, there's also some cool ones, too. I love the uh, the electric spider Galvantula. The starters are fine. The starters are kind of underwhelming, to be honest. You've got Embor, who's like, you know, another firefighting type, which like that, yeah. that needs to go. Never again. We've already got Torchic and Infernape. We don't need Embor as well. Oh, yeah, 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 that's Torchic. That's Torchic, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, then Snivy was, oh, uh, no, was it Snivy? Yeah, it was Snivy. Snivy. Snivy is cool because they become a very regal snake. It feels like uh, yeah. Trico's evil cousin. Yeah. He's like, that's who I picked. Know, yeah. Yeah. The, the right choice. And then there's like the sea lion, I think. Oshawott. Yeah. Who becomes, Oshawott. I don't remember their, their last form, but they're very nice. They're very cute. They're fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, I also, I think one of the standout things for me with this game too is the setting. And I think because we're from the area, it's trying to emulate it's It like literally hits close to home. I also think there were some design choices here that I think really are so welcome. And it makes playing the games before this really tough. TMs being reusable is like such a godsend. Yeah, like, man. And, and I think this is one they, of the first They mention too. it so much in game too, which is so <laughs> funny. They're like, hey, did you know that these are reusable now? Isn't that great that they're reusable? Did you know that you can yeah. reuse technical machines? Do you know that you don't have to go on a game fest? forum to trade with a stranger online for a tm anymore <laughs> uh that was a great choice and also i think this is one of the first games to really like one of my biggest grievances with diamond and pearl is how much it relies on hms to get everywhere like they work hms work in i think the first two generations well because they're really in place to like give a rough guideline of where you can go at a certain time yeah but at a certain point it's like it feels like they were showing off animations more than they were using them as a guidance and then like all the moves are bad too other than surfs like you never want to teach them to anybody <laughs> and then to forget a move you have to catch a love disc just hell so the fact that they like <laughs> made teams reusable and also were like forget hms was like such a good design choice that is like stuck through the series up until now yeah they're they're just like it feels like if you want to play again, if you want to play a game like from this era, I feel like it, it feels like the most natural to play a black and white from like today's standards. It's it's weirdly like a bridge between the 3DS era and the sort of older games. Yeah, I under I understand the affinity for it the more I play. Yeah, it. and I and I and I'm excited to see it through because I. I really do want to finish this in black and white, too, because I again, I don't know what the story really is that people are referring to as being like, you know, this high point of the franchise. I think you're right that it's like such a low bar to clear that like anything <laughs> above that bar is going to be impressive. But even the characters who are your friends that you start with in general, I'm like interested in. They seem like more interesting, more well-rounded characters than the ones that you usually fight against, because I remember even in X and Y, you and I joke all the time. It's like a bunch of people who are just like so fucked fucking stoked that you're going to kick their ass. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, well, I feel great about this. Here's $400. Thank you. I can't wait to see you three routes later when we
when we do this yeah. again. Yeah. Those those friends are just pathetic because there's yeah. the one that like like they all yeah they all love getting their ass kicked. But then there is the one who is like your rival who's always really upset when you win against them. So you just yeah. feel bad. The whole right. like I truly the first time I played X and Y I felt like I was the bad guy. Yeah. Because that game was like so easy and all your friends just get decimated and they thank you for it. Yeah. It's disturbing. I that's the thing about this game that I find really interesting again going back to the team plasma stuff is like they bring up all these really heavy questions and I feel like they're having team plasma have an ulterior motive which I haven't I haven't discovered what that is in this playthrough yet uh so I, I won't bring it up but like you know one of the first times you see team plasma outside of them like kind of marching around a town square saying like you should liberate all your pokemon whatever is like them kicking a pokemon to death in like an abandoned ruin factory kind of thing and you're like hey i thought your whole deal was that you love them so much and you want to free them and they're like no we just like really want the the like liquid that this pokemon secretes so we're just gonna (laughs) kick it until it comes out and i was just like this is such a fucking cop out on a really interesting idea you know because going into this i knew i knew that the experience of team plasma was they want to liberate all the pokemon and i think that that's a really interesting narrative thread for them to pull and to immediately like immediately like the same city where you first meet them you see them kicking the shit out of pokemon it's like ah man like you had this really cool idea and you you just like dumped it as quickly as you possibly could because you yeah. actually you don't actually want to confront those questions and i i assumed that that was the story that people had been referring to whenever i heard why this game was so great uh and and i found that really disappointing and i and i'm kind of excited to see where it goes because if that's not it then there's got to be something and I, and i just don't know what that is yet i don't remember i haven't played black and white too i i played uh black and white in college and then started my ill-fated nuzlocke one year when i was home and and i gave up yeah i only had the rock left rock and rolla and i was like, this is depressing <laughs> um but uh, yeah i mean i think from what i remember n that character you mentioned i think they do retain like they actually believe in the liberation mm. so like the confrontations with that character like still explore that theme n seems to be able to talk to pokemon yeah, or, right. Or, so there's like, like an actual yeah. connection there, but I don't remember anything. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, maybe maybe I should play the sequel as well and see what's going on. But yeah, I mean, again, it's like I think uh, the strength of Pokemon's narrative has always been the setting for me. And that's something that we really, really focused on with third gen. And like then when there is like a high stakes, you know, terraforming threat happening, like you actually care a little bit because you like the place you're in. Yeah. So yeah, uh, one day one day I'll play Black and White too. I think that is the only like mainline Pokemon game I haven't played at this point. So yeah. why not do it? You know. Yeah. I don't. I don't know what it is. I like uh, just things that have been in my back pocket for a long time. I'm watching Sopranos. I'm playing Pokemon Black. Like, it's all <laughs> it's all happening at once. Which is great. It is the most Sopranos of the Pokemon universe. <laughs> it's in New York. It's in New Jersey. Yeah. It's all happening. E- even though my uh, my beloved loud dread named Tony Sopran isn't there. Yeah. Uh, I could show. I could trade them in eventually. That's true. I'll make that happen. I really hope loud dread is in, as I've said every episode for the past year, I guess. <laughs> I'm going to do a Nuzlocke of uh, the fourth gen remix. And I really hope loud dread is there somehow because I want Tony back. Yeah. So we'll see. I would love that. And Lester. Yeah. yeah. And Lester. Yeah. Well, if only. If only I'm 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 really looking forward to those games uh, a to just like figure out what the story is there. But I I just feel like they're going to be 
good. I, I obviously there's a lot of people on the Internet who are like, I hate this art. And I, I just don't I just can't <laughs> get behind that. But um, I am excited to play those games. They, they are yeah. like in the in the, towards the top of my list of games I'm anticipating this year. I'm really curious to see uh, like what quality of life features they'll carry over like if everything in sword and shield will be in them or if it's going to be more like limited in that way i'm not sure but i'm excited to check them out yeah i feel i feel very similarly to that game that i do with uh skyward sword which i'm still making my way through i'm like towards the end of skyward sword at this point uh, oh wow nice still fucking great i mean the quality of life improvements they made in that game really actually do make a marked difference on the like moment to moment experiential stuff that you're doing like not having those pop-ups constantly actually does make the game better, uh, which is shocking. Uh, but anyway, I'm I'm excited to see that uh, applied or that mentality applied to Diamond and Pearl because I don't even yeah. remember if there was anything bad about it. I mean, I played it a lot, but I imagine there's going to be a lot of quality. Of life yeah, stuff, I, again, it was the HM stuff where it was like there was uh, Rock Smash. Like the thing about that game was like there were like eight HMs to progress. And also it was like all these new Pokemon and you like just saw Zubat for like most of the game. Yeah. Most of the game is in a cave. You're so you right. had to like wait until you beat the elite four to see anyone, but Bidoof and Zubat, which now that I'm, you know, a mature adult, I don't need anything <laughs> else. I'm happy with Bidoof and Zubat. They're the sort of like Gonzo and Rizzo of Pokemon. I'm happy to hang out with them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> it is one of the games I talked about in a much, much, much earlier episode of this podcast, but I've been thinking about a lot. Um, and definitely while we're talking about HMs is Pokemon Crystal Clear, which is yeah. a ROM hack of Pokemon Crystal that allows you to start in either of the two, the two regions uh, in the game. So you can start in Johto or Kanto and you can start with, I think there's like 10 or 15 different starter Pokemon that you can pick from. Um, wow. And the world is totally open and there's no reliance on HMs to like traverse different areas. You don't need cut to like get from point A to point B. You don't need surf to get from point A to point B. It's just all accessible immediately. The big thing is that they level up the Pokemon in different areas, kind of like an Elder Scrolls game in a way where like you could wander into the wrong side of the world and like, you know, you have a level five Pokemon and everything else is level 40 and you just kind of get your ass kicked. But I played through that game uh, way back when, when we first talked about it. And uh, it's it feels like a blueprint for what Pokemon could become. It's really interesting because it's like, you know, a Game Boy Color game, technically, in a way. Um, it's like a ROM hack of a Game Boy Color game. So it's not really like going outside of the bounds of what that kind of game can be. But just in terms of like the structure, the like yeah. mechanical structure of how you explore the world in a Pokemon game, it feels like a, a possible future for it. Because the way HMs are used in that game in terms of gating off areas is when you get them, it allows you access to like side stories. It's not like you're progressing oh, the game by getting HMs. It's like, OK, I got Waterfall and that means that I can go do like a side quest which will get me like a cool new item. I love um, that. That's it's cool. really interesting. It's like, yeah. honestly, I, you know, it's a ROM hack, which unfortunately means it's not going to get like, you know, covered or talked about or like reviewed or whatever. It's just going to live in forums by like diehard people who are in the ROM hack scene or whatever. But it really feels like a reimagining of what the linear structure of a Pokemon game could be in that it removes the linearity from it. And, and I think the reward of having side quests happen because 
because you have, you know, beaten X number of gyms and have gotten this HM is a really interesting avenue to take. There's actually one of the more interesting things in that game is at a certain point you find almost like a Master Sword Excalibur kind of thing out in the world, <laughs> out in like this forest that they added to the game. You know, it's a whole thing that the, the developers of this game, of this ROM hack just added. And you get this sword and it allows you personally to use cut, uh, oh, which is really perfect. fun. So you don't yeah. have to like teach it to a Pokemon or whatever. You just have a sword with you and you can just like cut down trees whenever you want. And that rules. That's like a really cool idea. Is that like, oh, I don't, I don't need to waste, you know, a move slot on any of my Pokemon to teach something cut. Like I could just use this sword that I have on me to do that. Um, yeah, it's, it's really smart, man. I don't know. Anyway, all of that having been said, playing Pokemon Black has been really kind of uh, making me think a lot about the structure of these games and like what is possible narratively, because you and I talk a lot about just like what we would like to see in terms of, you know, the future of the franchise. And I think like the fact that there haven't been super compelling stories in any of these games really feels like the last nut they really need to crack. Like there, there is something of value here to the world that they've made or else it wouldn't be the biggest IP on the planet. Obviously it wouldn't be spawning movies and TV shows and whatever, but it's strange that that narrative focus has never really been brought into the games. It just like, this game could be Dragon Quest, you know, like this. You you could get to a point where these games don't need to change. They just need to elicit the same vibe that you've always gotten and tell a story that's interesting. That feels like kind of an old school fable, which like Pokemon is old enough that I think it could accomplish that. Uh, and and this game, this game, honestly, Pokemon Black, at least it opens with this like kind of flyover cutscene in the town that I was like, whoa, this is straight Dragon Quest. And then it immediately ditched it. But like I, I had this I had this moment where i was like am i going to post having played a bunch of dragon quest games love pokemon black because it feels like dragon quest and then it immediately threw that out but like that thought has been lingering in my head ever since well we've compared the series a lot because you know i I think it's really there's so many thoughts i've had i'm going to try to organize them but like (laughs) dragon quest as we've often said is a series that is like very comfortable not changing and people like don't really want it to change. Even with this new one coming out, they've said like, Oh, it's going to be an edgy new frontier for dragon quest. And everyone, and everyone's like, we don't want that. Even you and I have had long conversations (laughs) about like, is that okay? (laughs) I, I have like cautious optimism with where they're going with it, but all that to say, like, it's really hard. Like dragon quest is one of those things that is like deceivingly simple in all areas, mechanical and narrative where Mm -hmm. like every, Every Dragon Quest game is, is going to be in a certain ballpark of expectation narratively. Yeah. But as we've discussed often, like we've now played a number of them and they all tackle different things and they all have their own kind of vibe. You know, 11, 11 hits sort of like narrative highs and stakes that like eight doesn't really. And eight is going for the kind of, at least in the beginning hours of it, like going for more of a almost humorous uh, Monty Python-esque kind of <laughs> adventure. Yeah. Um, and five is going for like a very emotional, personal life of a character with a little bit of Pokemon. And seven um, is the Forgotten City. <laughs> <laughs> right but so it's like okay like they've figured out what their central vibe is but they get to explore all these different avenues and different stories again like fairy tales where it's like you know every time they make a new game you know what headspace you're going to be in but you're always surprised with what they do mm-hmm. pokemon is like again like you said it should be that but it isn't because i think because one it's it's the biggest ip in the world and when you get numbers that big 
you get a fandom so huge that everyone has a preconceived notion of what it should be. Yeah. And every IP that gets that big, I mean, Star Wars is the clear example. Mm-hmm. Like there are going to be very vocal people who are unhappy if anything comes out because they have an idea of what it should and could be. But that's not a bad thing. Having an idea of what it should and could be is only a natural. Like you can you can feel bad about where Pokemon is at. It's just a matter of like, you know, we, we talk a lot about that. It's a matter of, of not like building yourself up to just get mad every time for no reason right you know again have an opinion but don't like take it out in the replies okay um <laughs> yeah i think i think the legend i know a lot of people are like kind of skeptical about the new the new pokemon game coming out next year uh legends of Arceus or whatever and i get it like but i'm 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 still amazed they're taking that big of a step you know the fact that it's like okay like i watched it again and it is like kind of like crystal clear you can get starters from multiple generations like they have different starters like on display you're walking around in the wild and just like catching pokemon like throwing the ball you you can critique like the performance and design based on what we saw in the trailer. I took it as very much like, here's this like raw footage. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that's going to be end game stuff or not. We'll find out. Yeah. It could be terrible. I don't know. I haven't played the game yet, but I just think like that could very well be the direction the series goes in. And I'm just curious to see how that pays off. Cause I think that like, that is probably going to be the biggest step the series has taken since like silver and gold, you know, like maybe, yeah, like maybe ever, you know? Right. I, yeah. Cause I, I think even looking back at sword and shield it wasn't as big a leap as i thought it was you know like right. again it kind of feels like x and y like looking back at x and y which is like it's kind of the same game it just looked a lot better than it ever had and you could walk in diagonals and like that was kind of what was exciting about it yeah sword and shield kind of felt the same way it just had this like added spice of the wild area which was like oh this is maybe what pokemon could become which like is you know what arceus apparently purports to be i'm i'm very iffy on how i feel about that i'm definitely taking like a sit back and see kind of uh, approach yeah, to it. Yeah, but i'm too. so excited to pick it up i'm just yeah. like so excited that this company you know which which relies so heavily on on its ip and 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 the like success of its ip is taking a chance this big is like really exciting i mean it's look as much as you know fans even me, I mean, as much as like I want this series to like take bigger risks and like do more interesting stuff and like be all things to all people and whatever, like that's just not possible. And it's especially not possible when it's as big as Pokemon is, which is, is kind of a bummer to say, but it's just kind of like a reality of like the people who run these things are like primarily focused on making money. And what makes money is like the same thing that happened last time, but like right. slightly different. Um, so for them to even green light something like Arceus, I think is really interesting. And and I'm excited to see how it comes out. Me too. Yeah. yeah. And again, I think there is a, in our first episode about Certain Shield when it came out, I remember saying very much what you just said, where it's like Certain Shield was a great time, but it very much was still in the, the 3DS era. Yeah. And I kind of got, again, it, vitriol is always exaggerated, but I kind of understood the more sober criticisms of like, this doesn't feel like like a console Pokemon game. It feels like a 3DS one. Right. You know, and I, yeah. I, I, I push back on that a little bit, but I get that like if that's what you're expecting, you'll be let down by what Sword and Shield was. But it was still like very solid. I liked it way more than Sun Moon. And like, yeah, you know, me too, I, I think. Yeah, I, I thought it was a solid sequel that, again, teased this bigger idea. But at one of the points I remember making in that episode, at least again, all subjective. But one thing I said was like, there is a comfort in returning to what you know. You know, your, your impulse to just play Pokemon. Pokemon Black, like there is a appetite 
similar Dragon Quest of going back to Pokemon and getting the same thing you always have. Yeah. But I think like this, <laughs> it's it's impossible to describe, but there is that desire to want more that doesn't exist in Dragon Quest. Yeah. You know, there is. It's that, this like, really like dichotomous relationship, right? Where right. like you do want it to feel like Pokemon games, but you also want to see it flourish and become the thing that you imagine. Yeah. Um, but maybe the best move for it is, you know, like I, I could see the people at the Pokemon company. I don't know if this is true, but I could see the people at the Pokemon company being like, look at what Dragon Quest did. They just did the same fucking thing over and over and over again. And like, it's one of the most beloved franchises of all time. Like, why don't we just continue down that path? Why don't we use them as an example? And we see it in the numbers. I mean, like even today that there were, um, some like hard numbers that I think Nintendo released of just like the best selling Pokemon or sorry, the best selling Nintendo switch games and like sword and shield and let's go Pikachu and Eevee are both in the top 10 switch games. Like, yeah, it's working for them still. And I, and I think a big part of it, which like can't be, can't be discounted is there are new members of the Pokemon fandom joining constantly, right? Like yes. there are young kids whose first games were sword and shield and they're going to grow up with the franchise, you know, and like, the formula that worked on us in red and blue is currently what's working on them in sword and shield because it really hasn't changed that much. Same thing with let's go Pikachu and Eevee where that brought in a bunch of people and also brought back a bunch of people who are nostalgic about red and blue. I mean, like looking at the, the grand scheme of the franchise, it's kind of brilliant that it hasn't changed that much because it just means that like the thing that they nailed, they haven't changed really. Yeah. And, and, that, and, and that's the thing too, is like, this is a game largely aimed at a younger audience. And like, yeah. that's amazing that they get a kind of similar experience that we got, you know? Yes. So like, there is a little bit of like trying to avoid becoming a 30 year old man begging for this <laughs> series to change when it's like primarily for children. Right. <laughs> but yeah. it is also like Nintendo's whole brand is like, they make games for everybody. Like there's always going to be an appeal to them. And I think kids too want that. I mean, like, uh, you know, they want to see where their series evolves too. Like it's not, they're not just like, I'm happy. Happy with the same yeah. thing yummy that's the thing the like breath of the wild adjacent version of pokemon that we've all had in our heads like ever since the playstation 1 playstation 2 era of video games like kids who play that if it were to exist won't be unhappy that it's that you know like <laughs> if they made that i imagine people would like it i imagine everyone would like it <laughs> i didn't want change said the youth yeah um, exactly <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I think I think the series is at an interesting place, to be honest. You know, I, I think that um, there really isn't a Pokemon game I dislike. I just think that there, you know, there are ones that like succeed more out of vibe, and there are certain eras that are interesting to explore. Um, I love talking about series with you because it's so interesting to trace like the history and influence and like where it goes and where it stops. And uh, Pokemon's Pokemon's a, a, a tricky one to talk about because there is that constant tug of war of like I want what I expect to get but i also want something new yeah i wonder if like you know the long term of this is just like a maturation of the of the fandom's ideal of what a pokemon game is and like when we finally get something like arceus like say arceus came out and was like fucking wildly different and like bad <laughs> like Maybe that'll Which be the is moment. Like possible. I just saw it. It's possible. That yeah. Yeah. Like that might be the moment when the fandom is like, oh shit, 
I do want what it was. Like, I do want it to be the same every time, the same way people feel about Dragon Quest, Um, which I want to be very clear, like, as we're talking about, like, the toxicity of Pokemon fandom, like, there is a toxicity in Dragon Quest fandom as well. Like, anytime they've tried to change that franchise, I I forget which one it was. I think it might be eight. There's, like, there's an interesting, there's an interesting, like, rabbit hole you could go down reading about this. But one one of them kind of purported to be a different thing where they were going to add real-time combat instead of being turn-based. And people fucking revolted. I mean, you know, classic, like, toxic fan. Like I demand that it be the same. And they actually like did that. They actually like went and changed it from real time back to back to turn based. um, And it's been the same ever since. So I just want to be very clear, like this isn't just a Pokemon thing. But I do wonder if we need an actual like capital B bad Pokemon game. For, ev- for everyone to be like, you know what? It should be the same. Like, it's actually good that it's mostly the same every time. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine what the capital B bad Pokemon game is. Or just like, you know, some like professor with like a, a throwing a Pokeball over his shoulder and they could just get Bidoof. But honestly, Bidoof is great. So I don't even know. I yeah. don't even know. I can't even imagine what, a, what an awful one would be. Yeah. Yeah. J- JPEGs of actual animals. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I was going to say in terms of the the change and and not the... <laughs> The idea that they have the fourth gen remake coming out that is like clearly in a more retro style alongside Arceus, basically like a couple months apart. I wonder if they're going to do a similar approach to Zelda where it's like you get the sort of classic top down games like the Link's Awakening remake alongside whatever the new frontier is. So they had to kind of have both bases covered. I've heard I've heard some stuff to that effect. That seems to be um, a move that more studios are starting to employ in that way. Uh, as you mentioned, like Nintendo has been doing that for a while with like Nintendo proper has been doing that for a while with Zelda where they always have like a top-down Zelda in the works. They always have a 3D Zelda in the works. Even Sega more recently has kind of said that pretty upfront about Yakuza um, using Judgment as a way to continue the real-time combat side of that. But the actual Yakuza mainline games are going to be uh, turn-based combat ever since Like a Dragon came out. And I've heard that anecdotally, but like not confirmed, obviously, because, you know, who the fuck knows ever, but that, that Game Freak and the Pokemon Company and Nintendo all in, you know, collaboration with one another are doing the same thing with this where um the let's go pikachu and eevee and diamond and pearl remake teams um are going to be that like we are going to make for you the exact thing you want if you want pokemon to be the same every time like that is going to exist we have a whole studio that we've like built up and staffed up just to do that and we also have this other team that's trying to push the franchise forward to make something new which is yeah, I th- I think that's fucking smart. I mean, if you have unlimited yeah. money like the Pokemon right. company does, if, like if, yeah, you have the resources. Why not? Why not? Why not do both? You know, why not like do the safe thing and the experimental thing just in case the experimental thing hits and becomes the main thing again? You know, we got the safe Pokemon game, we got the experimental Pokemon game, and then we got the capital B bad Pokemon <laughs> game. You get the spoon feed, Mister yeah. Mime applesauce with motion controls. We got Magikarp jump for iOS and Android. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's art. I loved Magikarp Jump. Yeah. If you made your Magikarp too big, a Pidgeotto would uh, would steal it from the air while you were <laughs> showing it off at a competition. Pokemon crap. And it's just the 3D pipe screensaver. It's like, why did I buy this? You can't even turn it off. I do. I, wait, I do actually want to like harp on that point for a second. Yeah. In, in the game Magikarp Jump, 
for iOS and Android. The whole thing was that you had to make your Magikarp as big as possible, and you had to show them that. off at like at like local tournaments where you would, you and other Magikarp trainers would like show off your Magikarp. But if your Magikarp was too big, it would attract the attention of bird Pokemon who would fly down and steal it while you were showing them off. So you oh needed to strike this balance between two, but you could work for like an actual week on making your Magikarp really big and then have all that work undone in a second. And I love that about that. Game. Yeah, that's really great. Is that still available? Probably not. I imagine it got delisted <laughs> at some point. That's always uh, what happens with those games. That and uh, Mitsomo are in like the beloved graveyard of yeah. Nintendo mobile games. Yeah, Nintendo heaven. <laughs> uh, cool. Do they you went straight up? to Nintendo heaven, those two games. Yeah, for real. I feel like Mitsomo was like a dream. Everyone had the same time of what social media could be. Yeah. You know, and then it went away. Uh, only you and I love that game, I think. <laughs> I just remember like like mindlessly scrolling through it as if I were on Twitter and just hearing my friends me's being like, What's your favorite kind of pizza? <laughs> being like, like 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 really accurately answering whatever they're asking me. Uh I miss me coming. <laughs> anyway, Pokemon Black is available for the Nintendo DS, not the 3DS. It's a non-3 non, game. The non-3. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of want to go back to myself. I always, there's always like an annual Pokemon thing for me. I can't believe like the Nuzlocke of Emerald was this year. That feels forever ago, but it was <laughs> this past March. Yeah. So. This year's very weird. Um <laughs> Anyway, I'm excited to play more Pokemon video games uh, going forward. Uh, just a quick shout out I'll, I'll give just for fun. Um, another game I've been playing recently is uh, a re-release of Alto's Odyssey, which is a... Oh my God, yeah. Love that game. A favorite uh, iOS game for you and I. Um, they just re-released it on Apple Arcade with an expansion pack that's called The Lost City. That is really spectacular. So if you have Apple Arcade and an iOS device, I would highly recommend checking out Alto's Odyssey, The Lost City. Uh, it's a game I've been liking a lot. Speaking of Apple Arcade, I think Fantasian Part 2 is is rumored to be coming out soon. Uh, very strange. Cool. Yeah, very mixed signals <laughs> from the official Mistwalker Twitter account where they yeah. are both saying that they have just started development, but it is also coming out soon. So I don't know <laughs> what the fuck is happening. Yeah, <laughs> but we'll, I, we'll see what happens. I, if it comes out this year, I'm going to be really excited about it. Apple Arcade's been doing an interesting thing. So they, they have this whole thing where um, they have like Apple Arcade Classics, which is like re-releases of like quote unquote classic uh, iOS games. So there's like Angry Birds is in there. Uh, and uh, I'm trying to think of like another good one. A game dev story by Kairosoft has a game dev story plus, and that's how they denote it. They put a plus at the end of it. But they've been doing this thing, uh, which seems to be upcoming, which is they're taking like full ass, like fifteen to twenty dollar iOS ports of video games and putting them on Apple Arcade, which I'm very excited about. Monster Hunter Stories, the original, is coming out oh, on shit. Apple Arcade on August sixth, which is uh, that that'll be after when this episode comes out so you can go play that which is like really cool that if you have Apple Arcade you could play all of Monster Hunter stories which is like as I've mentioned on the show like a full ass JRPG that you can play on your phone and like rips uh it's really good and uh Layton's Mystery Journey which is like a spinoff of the Professor Layton franchise is also going to be available on Apple Arcade soon which is very cool I don't know Apple Arcade seems to be like kind of ramping up a little bit I'm wondering how long until we get uh, a friend of mine on Twitter mentioned this to me and I just, like as soon as he tweeted at me, it was like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, I, I'm wondering how long until there's an Apple original. Like, I'm wondering, like, Apple has like an original film studio and an original television studio. And I'm wondering how long until they open a game studio. Mm. 
but it feels like they're just doing a lot of deals for like larger scale games recently for Apple Arcade and uh, sure. kind of rounding that rounding that subscription service out to make it like even more worth it than it was. Because uh, I, I think like you and I, uh, there's been a kind of a lot of back and forth on like, is this a thing you stay subscribed to year round or is it a thing that you subscribe to for a month and play the thing that you want and then you unsubscribe? Um, I've stayed subscribed because I've liked the slow drip of stuff that they've released, but I understand why people have unsubscribed. But like releasing a thing like Monster Hunter Stories, which will like take a long time to play play or Layton's Mystery Journey, which will take a long time to play. Or there's an upcoming game called Baldo, which I'm like really looking forward to um, that has kind of like a Studio Ghibli adjacent vibe to it, um, you know, which I feel like every game says that they're they have a studio adjacent <laughs> five at this point but this game right. really does look like it that's coming out soon gonna be an apple arcade like launch game um i'm excited for those kinds of experiences to be more normalized i guess on ios yeah i think so i mean even the other games we play like fantasian and guildlings and like uh there was that recent <laughs> there are two episodes we've done on like big Apple Arcade days where I described it as being slimed on like a Nickelodeon show <laughs> where it feels like yeah. there were like two days where like everything came out and then nothing for like yeah. months. It seems like this time there is like, I get, like you said, that slow drip of like, here are these bigger games that you would associate more with like probably the Switch than your mobile device. Totally. Yeah. Um, I, which is I, cool. Yeah. It's interesting also because I, I feel like you and I know a lot of people who have been picking up the backbone controller recently yeah and as a person who owns a backbone i mean like it it really does make you realize what the switch could be in a way like i I, you know the switch is obviously an incredible device but playing ios games on a backbone or like playing emulators on an ios device on a backbone or playing something like xcloud on ios on a backbone is like there's a whole world of games that could exist uh and 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 the iPhone is like really primed to take advantage of it, but no one kind of is. It's interesting. I mean, we talked about this in one of our earliest Apple Arcade episodes, maybe the first one, but just this idea that like Apple Arcade is kind of like a solution to a problem that Apple itself created was like, oh shit, we created this store where everybody makes free to play games where you get charged $99 for an in-game currency to get an extra gem that doesn't give you anything. You know, like that kind of like... (laughs) nightmare version of microtransactions Why the heck did I get this gem? <laughs> like there's like this nightmare version of microtransactions yeah. and Apple Arcade is weirdly like the solve for that in a way where Apple was like well we created this problem we can also solve it and charge five dollars to each person who wants to experience the solution to the problem which yeah. is very silly but I think the ex- <laughs> I, I think like the experience of having used Apple Arcade, playing games like Fantasian built for iPhone, but also playing things like App, uh, XCloud and whatever have really made me realize like it's interesting that there's not like a second renaissance of mobile gaming happening at the moment. Like it feels like it should be there. I think Genshin Impact is maybe like the first like yeah. horseman of the that apocalypse. Not that it's bad. I don't know why I use that as the example. <laughs> but Genshin Impact feels like you know, they built that primarily for mobile and like that was maybe the best move they could have made. Um, yeah. And, and, and stuff like Wild Rift. Yes. And like, yes. Uh, yeah, there, there are so many games that are like, I think we've talked a lot about games that utilize being mobile for the experience like Florence and um, if found 
which are like very much built to be experienced like via a mobile device to tell the story and the atmosphere. Yeah. But then there's stuff where it's like there are games that come out that kind of push your expectation of what a mobile device can do. Yes. Which I think Genshin Impact and Wild Rift both do that pretty well. And yeah, I think you're right. It's like kind of ironic. It's like, okay, m- everyone or most people have a phone and like most people are already familiar with mobile gaming, but there's still that stigma of like what a mobile game is. Yes. You know, again, because of the era of American Dad Match 3 that we always <laughs> reference where it's like, <laughs> <laughs> There's still like, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'll stick with my, my unusable gem. I'm not giving Apple $5 a month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stay away from my useless gems and my pirate Stewie. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think it will, you know, and it's, I don't know. I, I think um, I'm very curious about a lot of the, the topics you brought up there regarding Apple making their own game studio, which feels inevitable at this point. Right. I mean, Amazon's yeah. doing it like right, Apple, exactly. Apple's got to be in the works, at least. I and Google imagine. tried with Stadia. Yeah. But uh, yeah, a lot of cool stuff on the horizon of gaming. <laughs> <laughs> Boo! Don't worry, I'll Venmo you $99 and send you a JPEG of a gem. <laughs> uh, I will say you and I are playing uh, Fable, the original Fable, uh, yeah. for an upcoming episode of the show. And I've been playing that on my iPhone with the backbone on xCloud in the Safari browser. And it's been like shocking yeah. how good it feels. That feels like you're in another reality. You like time traveled and, and that changed things to lead up until that moment. It does kind of feel that way. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah it, it does feel like I went back in time and gave somebody an idea that came true. You know, like <laughs> it's so it's so weird that that's possible and is so good and feels like native to that platform in a way. I can't, I can't overstate how much I like the backbone. I'm not trying to like push anybody to buy one, but I mean, that that thing is like transformative in the way you think about your phone as a as a mobile gaming device. Sure. And I think that that limitation that Apple has put on Apple Arcade games that they need to have controller support like really aids that. I think I think one of the biggest bummers for me recently, I don't know if you know about this. There's been some discussion about it in the discord, but the the Final Fantasy Pixel remasters don't have yeah. controller support anymore. Oh, wow. Which is like wild because the the uh, the old versions of those games that were on iOS did have controller support. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I really want to play Final Fantasy six on my phone like really bad. And like that sounds great. It sounds like the way to do that is to play the Game Boy Advance version in an emulator on my phone <laughs> instead of that <laughs> which sucks I, the, I think if i were to get the remasters i'd probably get like one because i've never played like final fantasy one and that also feels like oh oh final fantasy song. one i thought you meant like yeah. i'm gonna get one of the remasters probably yeah i mean i already have most of them but like the only one i would really want to play that i have in is one and five mm. i have heard some of the music like i may redid some of the orchestrations and stuff um yeah so that's cool but you know. the the two in that in that realm that i really want to play are four which i have on on the DS, so I'll probably play that version. Um, and six, which I have on Game Boy Advance, but I'm interested in the Pixel Remaster if it comes out and people are like, yeah, that's that's the way to play it. Uh, I'll be interested to see how the hardcore fans respond to it. Hey, should we wrap this episode up? I feel <laughs> yeah! like we've just like gone on a carousel of takes on a billion things. Uh, Pokemon Black is available for the Nintendo <laughs> DS. It's a game I've been playing this week and enjoying a lot. You can, We're in a time loop where you say that. <laughs> 
The, yeah. the Pokemon Black is available on your local Nintendo DS. You can only play it on the Nintendo DS because uh, Nintendo doesn't have any semblance of game preservation. So uh, you need to go to a local <laughs> game store and buy it for many dollars if you don't have it. Or eBay.com or .app. eBay.app. <laughs> Let's wrap up. Uh, hey, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate your support. If you want to go to your local eBay and get a Nintendo <laughs> DS... Your- your local electronic bay. <laughs> Good evening, nautical robots. I would like one Unova region, please. We love you. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate the support. If you like the show, the best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend. Really, truly the best way to help. You can also rate us on Apple Podcasts out of five stars. Let us know what you think. Uh, you can also back our Patreon. Uh, links to all this into the cast.online. That's the place to go. You'll find where you want to go via that electronic bay, if you will. <laughs> uh, thank you so much to all our patrons. Like we said last time, the patron uh, bonus this month is going to be like a making of the show episode. We'll be joined by AJ. The bonus that's for everyone, thanks to the patrons this month, will be the Mass Effect trilogy. Really excited for that. We'll be joined by Tamar Hussein. Yeah, now that I'm done binging The Forgotten City in two days, that was two days yeah. I could have been, been playing uh, Mass Effect, but uh, Mass man, Effect melts City away. Really- really really worked for me yeah you'll you'll get there don't worry i believe in you but that's pretty much it uh again if you need to back your support on the patreon or you know if you're not able to financially contribute that's no problem we don't want anyone to be put in financial strain but if you can back the show you get access to those monthly bonuses yeah uh as well as allowing the bonuses for everyone to exist so thank you so much for that that's it other fifth generation pokemon that i like Uh, i like the cell uh that becomes i think Rianculus. I like Pidove. Pidove's cool. Which is a pigeon and a dove that mash together, and that's just what they called it also. It's pretty cool. Pidove. We're going to wrap up. Goodbye. Goodbye, dear listeners. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. Imagine a 3DS without the 3D and what <laughs> games you could play that are based off a northeast city in the U.S., I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. Goodbye. Bye. I haven't eaten food in nine hours. We have to eat dinner. Goodbye. <laughs> TWG, the worst garbage, the online.